there are certain things that you can do, strategies and the different things that you can set yourself up for success um, and ensure that when you're talking to buyers, when you're talking to brokers, that they know that you are one of those executors, that you can go in, that you can actually perform. Um, obviously, the broker's livelihoods depend on this. The, the seller's livelihoods could very well depend on this. Um, a lot of it comes down to problem solving for the seller and uh, figuring out what their pain points are and being able to meet somewhere in the middle. And, um, you know, obviously you have your absolutes that you have to achieve in these different deals. And this couldn't be a more exciting time, I think, for a lot of buyers out there right now yes. where we've seen this big shift and the market's kind of starting to change a little bit. Now Now it's really just being able to poise yourself. If you have the ability to execute, man, your your world is looking really good right now. All right, guys, Connor here from the Self Storage Income Podcast. I'm just as excited as you guys are to dive into this episode. But first, we have to give out a huge shout out to our amazing sponsors. So as you guys know, we like to partner with people who have been in the self storage industry for a very long time and people who are not going anywhere, who are going to stay in the self storage industry. One of those people is Janice International. These guys have been in the self storage world for a very long time. They're an incredible company with amazing products to help build to help improve and to help drive value of your self-storage facility. They've got rehabilitation programs like their R3 program. They have a number of technology solutions to help you increase operations and value of your self-storage facility. Be sure to check out the all things self-storage at Janus International. Link is in the show notes. When you guys are looking at property management software for your storage facilities, there's a ton of options out there, but no other option compares to Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is going to be your one-stop shop solution that has an amazing amount of tools that you can deploy at your fingertips to maximize the value of your facility, to operate it more efficiently, more effectively. They have an open API where you can back in almost anything you want. You own your data and it's just an incredible solution. I can't say enough good things about these guys. Link is in the show notes. Be sure to check out Tenant Inc. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to the podcast. And uh, we have one of the funnest subjects that we get to talk about today and a very relevant one in today's age. It is also the subject that tends to be the uh, most listened to on our podcast about actually getting deals, either finding, getting, or landing deals. Y'all want deals out there. <laughs> I mean, it is really important to the whole aspect of, you know, getting a storage facility. Um, a little. And, and running it and making some money and building some wealth. Um, I guess having a storage facility to do that is probably an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's probably a good first yeah. step. Yeah. Uh, so makes and sense. a last step <laughs> and a middle step. Today, what we're talking about is the actual, though, what we want to discuss is the landing of the deal. So actually getting that deal under contract. Although one of the most popular, it's one that people struggle with the most by far. And the reason why this is really important right now and why we're discussing it is because we have seen a 50% increase in deal flow into our funnel and our system. So deals are just, they're coming everywhere. We were having a discussion with a broker and they were underwriting this deal at like, it was 13 to 15 million, like around $14 million. And uh, our team came back and they were basically like, yeah, there's no reason to even submit an offer. Um, 
I mean, we're at like seven million. So, you know, we appreciate the look and everything, but you know, we're just going to pass because there's no way, right? Mm-hmm. We're not even in the same universe. And the broker was like, "No, submit your offer." And <laughs> he didn't want to get off the phone. And really? he was like, "No, no, no! I please submit your offer. Send an offer in." And we're like, "Wait, what?" Like we bizarre. haven't heard conversations that we're having today and we haven't seen deal flow come through today like this, you know, ever where it was, okay, you know, it's worth 5 million, we're a million off. There's no reason to submit an offer or even talk to you guys because it'd be rejected and the brokers would laugh like, yeah, try a million over, not under. Mm-hmm. And that's where this deal's going to land, right? Those days are gone, just gone. And right now, the price that's hitting the market and the things that we're seeing go on the market, that does not mean that that's what these things are trading at. And people want offers, brokers need them. But while that all sounds good and great, um, the other side of this is landing it, meaning actually getting an agreed upon price contract and everything and getting it under contract. Uh, that I actually think has become much harder for other reasons. And, you know, I often talk about a pendulum. Now, when deals get cheaper, or so when prices go down and yield goes up, meaning the price relative to the income, that's, you know, for a classification of a good deal. We're just talking high yield. So as deals get better, meaning your overall price to earnings, the yield rises, as that side of the pendulum goes up, the ability to land deals, meaning execute, goes down. And the reason being is the market forces that make things good deals are the same market forces that destroy ability for people to execute. Because when execution gets easier and goes up, the prices go up and the Mm -hmm. yield goes down. Supply and demand, more people can execute So deals get more expensive. Less people can execute, deals go up. There's less money, less people can afford it, more people are running away. So what we found though, is while we have this inverse, deal flow is rising and deals are going up, more people are unable to execute and sellers are way more concerned with that right now. Because the seller is looking at it saying, if you lock this thing up under contract and in three months, you don't go through, my deal is worth less than it is today. Right. And that is completely inverse. So a year ago, it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. We had sellers that were trying to get out of our contracts because they knew they could sell it for more than when we had locked it up the three months prior. That was actually happening to us. Mm-hmm. And so this, this complete flip in this inverse that changes the reason people sell, why they're selling, but more importantly, it changes who they're choosing. So I think a lot of people are gonna see deal flow, but they're gonna feel like they're not getting any deals. And that's what we wanna really dive into today, is landing it and how to put yourself in a position where you can actually not just find deals. How do you get it locked up? How do you get that thing under contract? 
Yeah, the execution part and the steps that you need to follow are incredibly important because like AJ's talking about, you've got to, it's, it's not about, it's this interesting situation where so many people, especially just first starting out, have this idea that the sellers need to essentially prove to buyers why a buyer should purchase their property, which is just totally not the case. It's totally, totally the other direction. And um, there are certain things that you can do, strategies and the different things that you can set yourself up for success um, and ensure that when you're talking to buyers, when you're talking to brokers, that they know that you are one of those executors, that you can go in, that you can actually perform. Um, obviously, the broker's livelihoods depend on this. The, the seller's livelihoods could very well depend on this, um, and a lot of times do because you're buying a mom and pop facility, somebody's retiring, that was their nest egg. Um, all of these factors go into it. Um, a lot of it comes down to problem solving for the seller and uh, figuring out what their pain points are and being able to meet somewhere in the middle. And um, you know, obviously you have your absolutes that you have to achieve in these different deals. But uh, no, I think this is a, an awesome subject and this couldn't be a more exciting time, I think, for a lot of buyers out there right now yes. where we've seen this big shift and the market's kind of starting to change a little bit. Now, now it's really just being able to poise yourself and have, you know, whether that's liquidity or having the financing and the funding and the backing to execute on these things. Um, if you have the ability to execute, man, your, your world is looking really good right now. Yeah, and you just, you brought up a couple key points right here. Um, you know, I talked about the sellers, but the, the other thing that you brought up, which is honestly, it's just as crucial. It, it is that broker side, meaning um, on that, meaning the brokers uh, know that if a deal falls out of contract, they're, they a lot of times just lose the deal, meaning it never goes back on market. That's common. Um, and it also hurts the reputation. Uh, so brokers are just as or even more sensitive right now. And I would say more because what I'm seeing is that you have brokers that are actively telling sellers now not to take the higher price. So the sellers want to take a higher price, but the brokers are like, don't do it because they go, that guy won't close. Mm hmm. The brokers are scared. They're just locking it up. They're, yep, they're just locking yeah. it up. They don't, they don't believe that they'll close. They don't trust that they'll close. And the broker's like, I'm going to lose this deal. It's going to fall apart. And then, you know, in a lot of cases, to some of these brokers, you got to realize, I mean, this may be like literally the majority of their yearly income. Mm -hmm. So they're not taking risks with people uh, that may not close. And so their number one priority is to close. The second priority is to get the most money, but it's first and foremost to close. Mm -hmm. And so you you were in an era that um, price doesn't trump all. Uh, in fact, price is taking a backseat, and you have that because they go well. You may offer this price, but I don't know that you can get the money for this price. I don't know that you can you pull this off. Do you think that's a fundamental? Because I because I felt like we even experienced that on on the other side of the coin when the market was super hot, super frothy, and we actually had people not taking the higher price, not taking the um, you know institutional money. You know, actually saying, "Hey, these guys are the executors; they can actually do it." Do you think? Do you think that's just a universal? So it is 
Absolutely. Meaning that that first principles of brokers, the economic incentives for brokers is always just close. Yeah. Always. So they could take less, even substantially less, just to get it closed because that's their biggest risk always. Mm -hmm. Um, What we've seen, though, is the brokers were way more trusting and way more willing to accept and get higher prices because over the last three years, most people could close. Yeah, they knew there was the money. Yeah. Yeah, and most people had the money ready to show in deposits. What we're seeing now is even good groups, big groups, aren't closing. And so look at us. So one of the things that we we did, so our big portfolio deal that we did, we walked away from. Now, the reason we walked away from it, we didn't, uh, our money never went hard or anything else, but we walked away from it because we didn't trust um, some of the fundamentals of the project, meaning principally, uh, I've talked about this before, but it was the tax problem that was driving it. So we'd been questioning and we paid two outside firms to come in to give us a tax estimate or analysis of this deal. And um, I don't think it was any, like, I don't want to be placing blame on anybody else or on anybody, because that's not not the case at all. It's taxes are very complicated, right? And so what we did, though, is our original estimates, when we were looking at it, um, showed that uh, between the information we got from the sellers, everybody else, that it was going to be one number, and we accepted a price at that given number. So it was like, okay, we accept the price of this deal um, as is, as long as the largest expense, it, which is taxes, is correct because mm-hmm. everything's based on a cap rate, right? Well, when we went down the road, we had to verify because it's the largest expense. So we hired an outside tax firm. They came back and was like, this is totally wrong. And it was off to the tune of like $350,000 a year. That equates to $12 million in value. We immediately were like, wait, what? So we had another firm. We hired another one, paid, um, and had them go out and check it. And they confirmed. You're talking minimum, right? $300,000 plus a year off. Now, obviously, that doesn't work because we have no control over any of that, right? That is government instituted and it is a reality. So then we went back and the owner, you know, he's like, I don't want to adjust my price for it, which that's totally his prerogative, right? So I get it. He's like, I don't want to adjust the price, which is fine. And so we were like, well, we can't accept a $12 million extra payment for something that doesn't even exist. It, it, it was the net, the $350,000 was like evaporating the total net income of the two biggest facilities. Mm. So it was like, we just lost two of the biggest facilities in the portfolio to the yeah. bottom line. Well, that's devastating for us, obviously. Um, and so we didn't go hard and uh, we walked away from the deal. In fact, the, the portfolio wasn't even relisted. Mm-hmm. So what you have is you have a big change now and you have um, buyers like uh, us who are very prudent as well as others. They're even more like it's getting exaggerated. So for us, that granted was a huge deal. I'm not saying that wasn't a huge deal. Um, generally speaking, though, on small deals, we don't care. So we, and, and two, just so you know, we didn't ask for a discount. 
we, we didn't go back to them and say, we want $12 million off. We went back to them and said, we want to have a discussion. That's it. We never, mm-hmm. we never retraded. We simply asked, hey, this is off. Can we have a discussion on how we should handle this? And the answer was simply no. No discussion. Like, we're not having yeah. a discussion. And that's why we said, okay, no. We didn't right. go back and say, we want you to come off the price by $12 million. And then they said no. And so we said, we're walking. No, we didn't even have that discussion. We asked for a discussion. It was said no, so we walked away. So we have never gone back and retraded a deal that wasn't um, it is something that was totally either misrepresented, right? Or not, I'm trying to think, even then, I don't know that we've ever traded a deal, period. Well, even if there was I, huge. I don't think we ever have. I was actually just thinking that. I was like, I don't even think we, or I don't think we even stepped away from anything. Like whether no. it's retraded or even stepped away or not closed on something before. Yeah. No, that, that, that was the first time we've ever had a deal under contract that we didn't close outside one. And that was because they were in a hundred year floodplain and um, they didn't disclose it. And the <laughs> it was being bought off yeah. their plans to build. It was basically fraud. and you couldn't build. They'd lie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was, was no get around was, that. Yeah, it was it was a really bad deal, and it was <laughs> funny. The power of like social media, we found that Dude. out because of an Instagram follower. Yeah, it was so we insane. were on site, <laughs> and somebody in that market, I, I think it was Rob. It, 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 he called yeah, called me up remember. and said, "Hey, um, you you know that." that whole thing it burned down so part of the buildings burned down so it was like oh yeah you buy it you rebuild the buildings right everything mm-hmm. else you couldn't rebuild anything right. it was like you can't touch it you can't do anything we're like wait what so anyways we you have these outlying things that big firms and things like that they used to that would be big things why you'd cancel deals that is not today um most firms and some of the largest firms in our industry uh they actually retrade on every single deal. They're very open about it. And so we don't, I hate that. I don't like it. It's not my thing, right? I'm not saying that what they do are bad or anything else like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, I don't like that. I don't like to be in it. And it has as much internal as external that like, I can't plan on doing retrades into a price to know if I should be getting the deal or not. Like I just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. And so, and we're concerned that when we lock a deal up, when I say I'm going to pay a, pay a price on a contract, it's like we have already know that we're going to buy the deal. So our organization isn't set up to get things under contract and then to find out what we like. But today, um, we were talking uh, uh, in today's age right now, meaning in the last two months, things change. We were talking to one of the largest uh, debt brokers in the industry. He said every deal was being retraded or canceled that they were doing mm. every single deal. So what we're seeing now is brokers and sellers are terrified because it used to be that there would be a reason somebody would retrade or there'd be a reason to, that they would cancel. And the only the ones that did it normally weren't the big long-standing players in the industry that had you know, reputations that everybody knew and they wouldn't do it. That's not anymore. It's everybody, mm-hmm. literally everybody. And so when we look at this landscape, and see all of these brokers now that are terrified and sellers that are terrified and they know it's going to be retraded. They're trying to figure out what to do. You have to recognize to get a deal under contract. That's the pain point. That's the sensitivity right there. 
So evolving on how you land a deal needs to really be based around this idea that you um, go about it, first of all, the right way. Um, and I think the right way, the ethical way. And I think you should go into deals, work with brokers, and you should let them know um, we're okay with this price. We have we are not planning on retrading outside these circumstances. Be very upfront. Address concerns out of the gate. So, like I, I always say, when you're doing deals and partnerships, right? Everything up to that. Start with the divorce, right? It's the same kind of thing. So have the conversation. And with our portfolio, we did. So the first call we ever had, we said, we accept the price. The only reason we would even question this price is, once again, if the largest number one expense is wrong. Because I don't control anything else like that. So that was the first call right before we put it under contract. You need to be having those discussions with the broker um, because what you need to do is you need to set the roadmap of how the deal will go. And you need them to trust and understand that if they put it with you, as opposed to putting it with somebody else that may say, yeah, no, 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 I'm okay with that, 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 that price. Let's, let's get it under contract. Let's get it under contract. And then all of a sudden the $5 million offer turns into four and they do it because they're trying to trap the seller and the broker. Mm -hmm. We're at the final point of this deal. You either accept it or we're walking away and you have to sell it with at a lower price. Obviously, one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle when investing in self-storage is funding and financing. Where are you getting your money from? Honestly, I hope you guys are getting it from Live Oak Bank. The people over there are absolutely incredible. They have an amazing team who knows and understands the underwriting of self-storage, the valuation of self-storage. They can work and coincide with you and your team in evaluating a deal, in financing a deal, securing that financing, and actually closing on an amazing deal and an amazing self-storage investment opportunity. Be sure to check them out again, Live Oak Bank. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's say, let's say I'm, whether it's, you know, my own outreach or network or through brokers and all these different aspects we've talked about on, on the setting up your deal flow and your funnel and all these things. What's, how can you confirm yes, I'm going to pay that price beforehand. I mean, what does that process look like to go in with confidence, to not retrade? Can you break that down a little bit? 100%. So one of the things that we do, our entire system and everything, first of all, uh, is you guys know, if you don't know, you can go onto YouTube. I actually walk through our, a lot of our, like our underwriting, some different things like that. But we are, we, we don't underwrite as event-based underwriting. So um, I think we're the only firm that I've ever seen that does it the way we do. I've never seen another firm do this, but our returns are not predicated on a future bailout, Mm -hmm. meaning a future sale or something like that. So when we look at deals, when we're underwriting deals, um, that means I don't have a point in the future that I can justify paying certain things today. Right. Because if I know I'm buying a $5 million deal, but I think in three years, I'm going to sell that deal for 8 million, I'm going to justify a lot because I'm going to make a million dollars a year. So what's happening in the markets right now is nobody knows if they can resell it. That's why prices are tanking. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter for us. Uh, I wrote a Twitter thread on this today. Go to Twitter and I break down this, actually walk through. 
uh, there's two sides of value. You have intrinsic value and you have market value. Market value is predicated on the buying and the sellings of assets within the marketplace. Intrinsic value for me has only to do with the return of the asset from expenses and revenue and how secure those returns are. Now, this is actually a really big deal because that is not generally how markets work. What it boils down to is price doesn't matter. Returns matter. But returns, if you don't know what you can sell it for, if you don't know what the exit is, now are all in question. And if I think that the future price that I could sell it for may be lower than today's price, that means the intrinsic value of what I'm willing to pay drops because the return that I'm projecting drops. We do not underwrite in this way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we look at deals, it is predicated on measurable known things. We call it money on the table. It has to do with us, not the market. You're, I'm obnoxious about this. You'll always hear it. For anybody who's listening to this podcast, no, we believe that we generate returns. We do not leave it up to the market. Um, because of that, and because we're focused on intrinsic value, when we're looking at an asset, outside things coming in mean a lot less to us. So once again, with this portfolio, I was really not happy we didn't get the deal because I really wanted it. Really wanted it. Still do. The things that I liked about that deal have not changed. And that's, we look at the deals predicated on what they are. The deal wasn't predicated on us selling it. It wasn't predicated on us doing, you know, any of those kind of things. So when we look at a deal, you look at the actual deal. I'm looking at the revenue. I'm looking at the expenses. And then I'm trying to find all the things that are missing in the deal. Are they have, is their economic and their real occupancy off? Are there things that are existing today that we can do value add for? Then how secure is the revenue of that asset? So to affect value, you can only do two things to affect intrinsic value, extrinsic value or the yeah, once market like value. Market value, or yeah. they, they call it like the, the dumber man theory, where like there will always be someone that are willing oh. to pay a higher <laughs> price. Um, that has nothing to do with this. When we're talking about intrinsic value, you can, outside the bailout model, you can increase revenue or you can secure revenue. Meaning, the more you increase revenue, value goes up, or the more secure the revenue is, the value goes up. So, someone that is looking at an asset that cash flows are extraordinarily secure is going to pay a higher price because the security allows them to guarantee certain amounts of returns, right? Things like that. Um, so this is why you find in first tier markets, assets trade at much higher prices, lower cap rates than in other markets. Why? Because if you're in Newport Beach, California, and you have a facility, they're probably never going to let another facility built, be built in your market. Hence the reason why they have $3 a square foot a month in revenue. And in Boise, Idaho, they have 80 cents. Mm -hmm. Because you know that in Boise, Idaho, everybody can, will, and does build everywhere. Just everywhere. So your revenue that is predicated on market demand is not even close to secure as it is in California. 
right? California, you have very secure revenues. So they're trade a lower cap. Now, the thing about markets like ours and other markets, there's more upside potential. So that's why when markets are good and execution is easy, people come to these markets because they want yield and they want the upside. So when you're looking at those intrinsic value of the asset that you're trying to peg, make sure that you know what your buy box is. What is the mm-hmm. return that I need to meet? And then communicate that with the broker. Meaning, I am looking for an asset that is 50,000 square feet that I can make into a remote managed facility that makes $10,000 a month in revenue. And that is in this type of market on a road like this, that asset meets all of that criteria. And that is why I'm looking at this one and I want to buy that one. So what it shows the broker is you are confident about your buying selection. You also then state, I am willing to pay this price. The price will change or vary predicated on these things. The broker then looks and says, oh, okay, well, that is a very good roadmap. As opposed to the guy that comes up and says, so will the seller come cheaper? Can, will the seller come off that? How much, how much will the seller come off that? Right, very price driven, very, you know, looking at it. it, it there, there's just a lack of trust that they know what they want, that they're gonna close. Um, another thing that you can say is this is the only asset that I will put under contract. Now, you don't need to do that, but what you're trying to do is build as much confidence in yourself that you will close. The next thing is being very upfront. So I can secure payments through a bank, but I'm still getting the investors to come. But as long as these numbers meet, we should be okay or vice versa, right? Because what it shows you is you're gonna do everything to get that asset. And if a better opportunity comes around, that's not gonna be the problem. If markets maybe necessarily change, that's not gonna be the problem, right? And so they're like, okay, well, let's work together. Let's get it done. And that ability for you to present yourself as someone that knows what they want, knows what they're doing, knows why they want it and can be have a lot of reason behind it um, is going to build confidence. The next thing you need to do is you need to be prepared. So you need to be prepared when talking with brokers on the financing side and on the money side, that's gonna be something that they're gonna ask. Don't figure that out afterwards. Go to them ready. So I work with Live Oak Bank, I'm getting a small business loan, and they have accepted, in the general realm, they believe that this price and this loan is a loan that they will do. And as you know, Live Oak Bank is, can do their own underwriting for SBA. That means that they don't need it to go to the government to do underwriting to get approval. They can tell us today whether it's approved or not based upon the underwriting that they're doing. And they're telling me that this is a deal that would be approved. Well, the moment you start saying these kind of things, they're, the, the broker's like amazing, right? And Bob comes in and is like, well, okay, well, I'll pay you 100,000 more. And the broker's like, well, why do you want this? Oh, it's just a great asset and a great market. I've always wanted to be in storage. Or, you know, you know, whatever reason. They're gonna look at it and say, I don't care that you're gonna pay more. 
even though this guy maybe hasn't done this before, they have all their ducks in a row. They know what they're doing. They're prepared. So in today's market, it's all about being prepared and presenting yourself as that uh, trustworthy person that will close. Anything that you can do to show that to the seller and broker is going to help you immensely in today's markets. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you can't do all the things, find other people that can, partner with other people that can. But the idea that deals will just, you just find these great deals. Well, in today's market, that's probably gonna happen. Like you're gonna see a deal and you're like, I can't believe it's selling for that price. But guess what? That doesn't mean you're gonna get it. Mm -hmm. And that's that would be the most devastating thing in the world. I've waited for three years. And then you find the deals and you can't get it. This is exactly what happened in 2009, 10, 11, and eight. A lot of people talk like they're like, yeah, I wish we could go back to that time and buy a lot of assets like you did. And I'm like, well, that's what everybody wanted during the time, but nobody could. And two, there wasn't even a lot of deals. A big misconception. Like people think that during that time, there were just deals everywhere at 50% off. That could not be further from the truth. I mean, we went through a time where literally we saw like two deals in the entire Pacific Northwest of which none of, neither one of them we would buy or, or, or could even buy. There was no deals. Mm -hmm. No, there's nothing. Nothing. Nothing was on the market. You couldn't buy anything. We're at a time where the deals are here in a volume and in a way and pricing that, you know, I frankly I haven't seen. I mean, it's almost like the window of opportunity um, is more towards the lines of 2015, 16, 17, meaning that financial markets were stabilizing. People were able to come back in. Prices hadn't readjusted, right? But So you could get good pricing. But even at that time, it was like prices were rising, right? Prices were going up. So And banks still didn't want to loan people money. So it was still hard on execution, but on another way. Today, it's hard on execution because of interest rates and an interest rates effect on the price. So no matter what, when there's deals, execution's hard and you have to figure out how to get around that and you have to work with it. The best strategy is something that we implored during the last Great Recession was owner financing. And we've been looking at our numbers and it, honestly, it was probably less than 10% of people would even entertain the idea over the last four years of seller financing. It was just an automatic no. Right now, with our deal flow, we're looking at 50% of the deals that we're looking at, say in some way, shape or form, they would entertain a discussion on seller financing. So frankly, you've had probably more tools than you could ever have or hope for or want to get in mm -hmm. to the game. And it's exciting. But at the same time, the market is filled with fear and the market's filled with naysayers. So when you look at valuing and buying, go to my Twitter thread, go walk through it. I break down this intrinsic value, some different things like that. The next thing too you need to look at and uh, get ready is being prepared, being prepared to show confidence to get it under contract. So in order to land that deal under contract, First and foremost, you have to, have to get the broker and seller on board with you're the person that can do it. 
this means everything in how you look and how you present yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're like, hey, AJ, that's kind of shallow. Like, no, it's not. No, you need to. You need you your need team. to look professional. Yeah, no, you need to look professional. You need to have your team. You need to have the the financing set up. You need to have whether it's your investors, partners set up. You need to have your CPA, legal, all of these things, and be able to say, yeah, sure, I'm gonna have that over to my accountant tomorrow or today or whatever that is. Or hey, yeah, my attorney's reviewing this or that. Or hey, yeah, I talked to Live Oak Bank. We've got this secured. We're talking about doing this. We're doing X, Y, and Z. Um, oh, it's touching touching on Live Oak Bank. We just had uh, Anna Taylor on the podcast uh, for episode 173. Isn't it the last one. Uh, it was a couple ago couple. Um, oh. at this point. So yeah, episode 173, uh, super good podcast. She really dives into the, the funding financing world, all things self-storage. She's the, the lead uh, self-storage lender over there at Live Oak. So wealth of knowledge, go check out that episode. But uh, yeah, no, you've got to be able to carry yourself with confidence and convey that, uh, that you are prepared and that you can execute. Well, and people, you, you may be saying right now, all right, Connor, that's great. But how do I show that I'm prepared? Like, what do I need to do? We literally have a YouTube video that walks through closing. So we have a YouTube video that walks through everything that you're going to need from contract to close. So within self-storage income here, our podcast, our YouTube videos, and everything else like that, you have no excuses. <laughs> I'm sorry. You Come on, not. guys. Like, yeah, get out there. It, it's Make like, it go use these resources, everybody. Get yourself ready and be prepared. You have so much resources to be prepared. Now, I'm not saying mm -hmm. you don't have any excuses because you can't get a deal, things like that. No, but to say that you're not prepared, I mean, once again, when we started out, there was nothing. I had no information. We literally were like, okay, broker, wh what do we have to do? Like, what do you, what do you need? And then we would just try to scramble and put things together and try to figure it out. It was very reactive. Right. And so when you get in times like that, um, we were barred out from really good deals during the financial recession. So during that time, we didn't get deals that we get today. That's fine. I don't, I didn't expect it. And I had to do things that other people may not have wanted to do. I went to really small cities. We talked owner financing to people, but I, we had to go to places where nobody else would go and we had to figure it out and we needed time to figure it out. And our contracts had to represent that. We need 121 days or 120 days, right? Uh, to just literally just to process this thing because we don't even know what, what what is needed. We're providing all of that for you guys. Go check it out, go to the YouTube, look at what to close and make sure you're prepared. The one thing I don't want everybody is I do not want you guys to miss out on an opportunity. And I want to finish it with a text that I got. Um, what was this looking here? I think it was um, yesterday. I got it from my friend, Travis. And he sent me, he said, hey, dude, the deal I was looking at and you helped me uh, look at, I bought for $2 million, And this is this week. I just got an offer uh, for $4.1 Thank you so much for your information and the help that you've given uh, over the last two, three years. And that I was just literally over the moon about, right? First deal, never done anything in storage at all. 
uh, right? And and close. And that in two, we're talking about an offer in this environment. Um, so everybody, you have the information. Get out there, make it happen. Uh, you know, my buddy never doing anything like this will make you know two million dollars in a two year period of time um, on his first deal he's ever done. That is so awesome and rock star. And you guys can be doing that today. So I hope that I hope that excites you guys. I hope that encourages you guys to get out there and get it done. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And uh, thanks for all the amazing reviews we're actually getting on iTunes and all these platforms. Um, I was just pulling up reviews and kind of checking them out. And you guys are absolute rock stars. We had that issue happen with our reviews on iTunes where a ton of them just disappeared. We're almost back up to 500 ratings, and we're at uh, 4.9 From stars. 700 out plus. of five, yeah. So you guys are killing it, and I think it, we did the offer, too. We did on the other one. The offer was, if you guys, uh, so leave us a review, right? But send it in. If you guys send send it in, we, we have a, to self-storage income, right? Send in uh, your information, everything else like that. And I think we're giving out the free audio version of the book. So check it out, guys. Get out there. Go do it. Leave us those reviews. We really want to reward people that are actively engaged and helping us out and doing things, right? Um, so, yeah, we just want to say to everybody, we we really appreciate it. We really appreciate the support of the community and everything that's going on because huge. we've gotten so much. And if you guys go to Self Storage Income too, anyways, just the site, there's just tons of resources and everything. Get Get involved in the community, everybody. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya.